0: joining us on this week's show gary boulanger talks about his legendary racing career which included a near-death experience and jim lawson joins us to talk about single game sports betting and the effect it could have on horse racing joe tilly sports coming up welcome to the program our special guest today we're pretty excited about this folks he hails from Drayton valley alberta he was a leading rider at longacre in 89 to 91 long acres leading rider at calder park he was the winner of the 2017 avelino gomez award he's won over 3600 wins he's got over 3600 career wins over 80 million dollars in purses he has won the queen's plate canada's premier race ladies and gentlemen welcome to the program gary boulanger gary welcome to the program buddy
1: hey thanks joe how are you
0: i'm doing pretty good I, and uh i understand you're you're still in, in on rehab assignment uh you had surgery in september to tell us about that
1: yeah i mean i had a, an accident in the morning and i tore my acl mcl and my lateral meniscus um I had to go kind of with COVID. it took a while to get it all diagnosed and um, when it finally did and the surgery was done and you know, then to do a, a bone fusion ligament procedure for the acl and then they cleaned up the meniscus and uh, the mcl was only a, a, a level one pair that um, going to be healed by the time i'm able to be back
0: So what is the timetable? What is your best scenario for
1: riding again? Uh, You know, I mean, I was hoping I was going to make the beginning of the meet. You know, my surgeon and I have talked about it, and um, I just seen him the other day, and, like, he's wanting me to give it the most amount of time possible. He's wanting me to wait at least a year from the surgery just because of the amount of strain and torque that's put on the knee in a riding position. He's afraid that um, I would re-tear that ligament um, if I came back too soon, the fusion isn't hundred percent set yet, um, and it feels well and it's doing really good in, in, physio and it's going through all that really well. He, uh, he just increased my physiotherapy to where I can start putting some more, uh, stress on the knee, you know, more compression exercises where I'm starting to jog and skip. And, um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm not happy about not being able to make it back to the beginning of the week.
0: Well, um, if anybody can make it back in a hurry, it would be you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've, you've come back so, but too, uh, from some pretty uh, pretty scary injuries, and, and we'll be talking about that pretty soon. But I want to talk a little bit with, about your, your career and how it started. I know you started riding horses at a very young age. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, um, for whatever reason, I was very um, – in love with horses at a very young age i mean it's all i thought about all i talked about and um you know they started me really really young i think i was riding my first pony by myself by the time i was two and a half years old um one of my uncle's farms and um, I'd, I'd do anything to get to his farm or to anybody that had horses and that just compounded into doing more and when i finally had my own horses and um it just kept leading into more and more things, which you know eventually led into horse racing.
0: Did you know from the outset that you were going to be a jockey? Was that your plan?
1: You know, my mom told me that at a very young age, I told her I was going to be a jockey when I grew up. I, I, I think I was like in the sixth grade, and I watched the Kentucky Derby on TV. And uh, I had to do a book report on... Any subject. So I did a book report on uh, Bill Shoemaker, and I, I said, "Mama, this is what I'm going to do." And I, I never imagined it happening. It just, you know, something you talk about as a kid. you know, like, "I'm going to be a hockey player. I'm going to be a, you know, a doctor." But I mean, I, I told her, "I'm, I'm going to be a jockey." She's like, "What is a jockey?" You know, I said, "A horse racing." And um, lo and behold, it was true.
0: Well, that's interesting because Willie Shoemaker turned out to be one of your mentors, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, he did. You know, I was fortunate enough. I got to ride in his last race at Santa Anita, and um, it's a tremendous honor. I mean, he was, was a, a great guy. I mean, a really guy's guy in the jocks room. He's kind of a, a jokester. You know, he played Trek pranks on people all the time, but just a, one of those guys everybody loved.
0: Now you had stops on the way up uh, in on the on the, in Cleveland and New York before you finally ended up heading to the West Coast. Tell us about your earlier career.
1: Um, I, I started actually in Tampa in '87. Um, um, I come down with a, a Canadian owner that had um, Arabians that he was taking to Tampa because they had like um. I think it was a $100,000 stake race there. And then they had some big stake races in Delaware that we were kind of pointing them towards. And uh, I come in and, you know, I, I already rode one race, one recognized race with the bug in um, Northlands Park. I went in and rode for um, a guy named okay. Brock. So I had my apprenticeship papers and I, you know, I'd, I come down and I went to Tampa. And, you know, he got me a work visa right away because he worked for the Canadian government. And, um, we were there and, you know, and I was just getting on Arabians and there was a bunch of people that were kind of there and the same, I was getting on the three horses he had and I had no agent bouncing around. I rode a few races and, you know, I think I, I win my fifth race by like my 12th start there.
0: That's not bad. And then, uh, and then, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: From there I ended up going to Delaware because a bunch of the, arabian people i was riding for were going there and he says you should go to delaware you know i got some big and i says, you know what well the horse that um dr branch that i come down to tampa with got hurt so he was going back to canada but he says you're more than welcome to stay if you got a job and you want to do it you want to try it you know your papers are good so i ended up staying and i kind of bounced around and was riding arabians and you know for the Bunch of the raking outfits were there, and you know I was winning some races, but not riding. I think I rode one or two thoroughbreds outside of the radiance for a couple of months, and uh, an agent seen me riding at Delaware, and he was looking for a good apprentice rider to go to Cleveland, Ohio, for the leading trainer Harmon Drake at the time. And he seen me ride, and he approached me on. His name was Corey Moran. He, he just had lost, um, E.T. Barrett just lost his bug that year. And he was bouncing around looking for a good apprentice for this one particular trainer in Cleveland that, you know, he wanted a good apprentice rider, get some weight off some horses. And so he seen me and asked me if I'd go and I said, you know what, sure. And I went and... Took off right away. I mean, I think I was leading Apprentice, second leading rider. I come there two months late into the meet, and I almost caught – I think Mike Rowland was the leading rider that year there. I almost caught him. But it was a great stepping stone for me getting into thoroughbreds and winning some races and getting some more exposure.
0: Well, clearly, uh, you you, you had that uh, winning ability right from the outset, and then you moved to Long Acres and, uh, and, and really took off there. That was a fantastic move for you, as it turned out.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was another one of those things. um, Trainers see me riding at uh, Bay Meadows. I just lost the bug the year before, so this would be like 88. And I've been riding at Bay Meadows and Golden Gate Fields. And um, a guy from Seattle come down, Clint Roberts, a good trainer. He's like leading trainer there several years. And uh, he's seen me riding, and he's like, he came to me and says, you just need to go somewhere where you can ride more races. You know, you're only riding – five or six a week, and uh, you're a good rider. You just need to go somewhere where you can ride more races. And he goes, yeah. I said, well, he says, would you come to Long Acres? I said, well, I don't know anybody there. He says, if you come, you'll ride all of my barn, and you'll ride all of my son-in-law's barn. He a guy named was Chuck Perry. He'll first call anything I have, and he has been leading trainer there three out of the last four years. I said, you know what? It's a good opportunity. So I went there, and I just took off, like, wildfire right
0: away he obviously liked what he saw in you and just to clarify for folks watching uh the buggy when you lose your bug that means you're no longer the apprentice rider and you have to carry more weight uh, carry more weight etc right correct exactly yeah so yeah so now um now when you're long acres uh, you, you know as your trainer suspected you might you started winning pretty regular and in fact you 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 set a record there uh, a yeah. broker record set by a guy named Gary Stevens. Uh, not, <laughs> not too shabby. How, how did that feel?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, it always feels great when you make, you know, something like a, you break a record that was supposedly the unbreakable record. Um, several people had tried. And, you know, Gary's you know, obviously a very accomplished rider and we're good friends to this day. Um, he, like, his parents were there. His dad trained Ron Stevens. And they called him up um, the first year I went there in 89. And they called Gary up and said, we just adopted another Gary, and he's going to break your record.
0: Uh
1: And he's like, Dad, I've heard this story before. No way, no way. And in 91, when I was ahead of the pace to break his record, and Gary and I had spoken over the, the years that I'd go down to Santa Anita and ride in the wintertime. And uh, he called me up and he says, listen, don't you break it by like one or two. I said, listen, I'm going to shatter it. I'm going to shatter it. I won't just break it by one or two. He's like, okay, great. And when I did break it, he called me that night and he says, great job. Congratulations, man. I said, thank you.
0: So what was the final tally and how much did you break the record by?
1: Uh, The final tally was 247. The old tally was two thirty-three. Um, he actually had um, five more. He had five more days than I did. It was over one hundred twenty-five days. Um, I only had one hundred twenty that year.
0: So that's uh, what prom- Okay, you now you're you're leading at Long Acres uh, and you're you're setting records there. Uh, and what prompted you to head over to Calder from there?
1: Well, I actually went to San Francisco and and bay meadows i went to golden gate and bay meadows again
0: oh okay. because
1: long acres had been bought by boeing and they had one more year left at the at long acres so um to go back there for one more year i'd already broke the record the I, I decided to go to bay meadows and golden gate instead of down to santa anita in the winter time and try to break into the northern california circuit because a bunch of the trainers from long acres were shifting over there because there was going to only be one more year, so they're kind of branching out. And I went down to um, Bay Meadows and Golden Gate, and that would be 92. And I was actually in front of Russell Bays at the – I think it was the Bay Meadows meet. I was like six in front of them, and unfortunately I broke my ankle. But I went there before I went to Calder Calderon that.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you went right from Long Acres to Calder. Okay. But then you went to Calder and, and, and there's more, more records set over there.
1: Yeah. I go like, I, I went to Calder in 94. Um, they were looking for a good white rider. A bunch of the owners were complaining that everybody was Spanish speaking. They didn't know if they understood them or not. And so uh, the racing secretary called my agent and um, asked me if we'd consider it. And at the time we we're at the, midst of uh between bay Meadows and golden gate where you do the summer fair circuit you go from pleasanton to stockton to leo to santa rosa so every two weeks you're moving to a different meet and it's kind of a a fair circuit you know you got quarter horses appaloosas arabians and thoroughbreds all running at the same meet and i said you know what you know maybe this isn't a bad idea we should go try it and if we don't we don't catch on we don't you know like the way our business is we can always come back for the big meets at bay meadows and golden gate so we went there and um We caught on right away
0: so calder uh went well it went calder you you as i mentioned earlier set some records there uh very successful and uh but eventually it was back you you made it back to canada and and, uh, tell us how that took place
1: um it was uh be the spring of 2000 i just come back off of uh, i broke my back in 99 and i was I'd been back riding at gold at um Gulfstream for about two weeks. And I'd went some races and um an agent from Canada called me, Gary Kemplin, who's my agent now. He called me and asked me if I'd consider coming to ride Woodbine, the purses were huge and he knew I was a Canadian citizen. We'd you know, we met he had Dave Panna before and I'd rode with Dave and I'd played golf with Dave and so I knew Gary, and he knew I was Canadian. he says, you know what? So I said, you know what? You know, uh, Gulfstream's a tough, tough meet anyhow. A bunch of the big guys are here. And I'd already did basically everything at Calder. And I said, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go back to, to Woodbine. You know, there's some big purses. And Mark Frosted was looking for uh, a second rider to go to. Uh, I think Todd Cable was his main rider at the time. But, you know, Todd had pulled a few uh, yeah. no-shows and uh, they were looking for somebody right. that they could rely on a little bit more. And I said, you know what? Yeah. And I headed up.
0: Well, let's talk about that back injury because I, it turned out that that back injury had turned out to be a little bit worse than what you originally thought, of the way I understand it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd i been having some problems with my, I thought it was like sciatic nerve, right? I was getting these, you turn the wrong way and you get that bad jolt, you know, yeah, I I, you know, and I'd went down in a spill several months before, but like nothing had been seen. X's were negative, really, and kept riding. And, you know, I, I got off the winter circle at Gulfstream one day, and I just hit the ground. I had no legs. I mean, it's hit the ground. I couldn't feel my legs. I said, what's going on? So they take me into the first aid room, and, you know, they're doing this, doing that. Office, right? I'd had, you know, I was getting these funny jolts up my leg, like like, like almost like an electrical shock. I, oh, I'd had some hardware in my left ankle that they'd had to remove one screw. It was backing out. So they had went in and moved one of the screws. So I called my, um, orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Hammerman and told him, you know, kind of what was going on. he? He says, well, come on in, we'll look at it. So I went in Monday morning and, uh, he says, from what you're describing, it you kind of like I don't think it's a screw, but we're gonna you know, we're gonna check everything out." So they X-rayed me from like head to toe. And he come walking mm-hmm. in, and uh, he says, "I'm gonna let my partner, Doctor Stauber, explain everything to you." I said, "Okay." So he comes in, and he looks at me, and my wife at the time is sitting in the chair, and I'm on the table, you know. And he says, uh, "Nice to meet you." And he looks over at my wife. He says, "Does she ride?" I said, no, why? He says, you're done. So, whoa, whoa, what do you mean I'm done? He says, well, you got two fractured vertebrae and a collapsed disc. I said, what, is, what do you mean? I said, I'm 33. I said, I can't be done. He says, well, then he kind of got into the numbers. He says, well, best case scenario, if I only have to fuse two of the vertebrae, you got a 50 50 shot of making it back. If I got to do more than two, you'll never make it back right. I said, well, that's better than zero. So we ended up mm-hmm. having to do as one l 5 spinal fusion, which uh, was like, I think I was out a year, a month, and a day from the time of the surgery.
0: Wow. And that's not the first time, right? So, uh, but then you can move to Canada. Uh, and yeah. you just, obviously just, you were, you were ready to go. So you're, you know, after a year off and whatever, you were able to come back. And, uh, yeah. so, uh, that was good. Uh, and, and when you came to Canada, things went pretty well. Uh, you, uh, in 2001, you got a ride, uh, you got a chance to ride a beautiful filly named Dance for the Dawn, who had, uh, some pretty good bloodlines. And, uh, and that horse, uh, did quite well, first of all, winning the, uh, the, uh, the, the, Oaks, the Woodbine Oaks. And, and uh, tell us about that, that Philly.
1: She was kind of a temperamental kind of filly. She didn't get along with everybody, but, um, her and I really quick, clicked well, you know, we got along and, um, I rode her as a two year old, uh, one or two times. And she came back for three year old and she ran a Keeneland once. Um, so Mark had a race, a really good race into her. We come in the Oaks and, um, I think I drew the one hole. And she flipped in the gates. And so she didn't get away wow. that good. Um, so I was way further back than I really wanted to be. But, um, you know, I just worked my way through traffic and um, she ended up running them down pretty handily. You know, uh, had to do more than I really wanted to do, but um, she got the job done. Uh, so I was like, wow, well, okay, now so, we're getting to come back in the plate in three weeks. Right, was she the favorite heading
0: into that? Uh, into the Oaks,
1: I believe so. If not, right. favorite Kofi and uh, had a filly in there that was uh, pretty well touted too.
0: Right, her mother's Down Smartly, if I'm not mistaken, is that right?
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. The okay. Funny so there, is- there, there, there is some good bloodline.
1: Yeah. The the way I inherited her is in 2000 when I came up for Mark. I'd come up, and he had two Colts that year. Todd Cable is riding them both. One was a maiden, and one was uh, had just ran on the plate track.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I worked the maiden, Then his name was Scatter the Gold. Right. I worked him. And I was like, I told my agent, I said, wow, this horse is a nice, nice animal. I said, this is a really nice horse. And he was big and strong, and he I mean, did everything right. And Todd kind of got upset when I worked him. And he said, listen, I don't want to ride that horse. I want to ride that maiden. I want to ride Scatter the Gold. I've been riding him. I don't want to ride it. So Mark had promised him to us. And uh, Todd kind of got upset about it. And Mark said, listen, I'm sorry. I know I told you you could ride this horse, but, you know, I got to let Todd ride, and that's what he wants to ride. Don't worry, I'll make it up to you. So he ends up winning the plate. He won the, I think he won the Princess, uh, the, the Fort Erie race as well, the Prince of Wales. The, uh, like, wow. right, Prince of Wales, so yeah, how, the how you, second jewel. That? Yeah, how do you make that up to me? Like, you're taking me off a horse, I think, and win it, and he does win it. But he said, don't worry. So he gave me him, he gave me Dance to the Don. he gave me another filly that was, could have been anything as well. But um, that's how I really got on dance for the dawn.
0: Well, let's let's talk about that Queen's Plate uh, race with with dance for the dawn because we have we have some video of that as well, and uh, and yeah, that was that was no that was no gimme. That's that's for sure. Um, no. It, would, would you call a, big...
1: a dance? Would you call this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Win City was like the big danger, but like I, I really really liked her because she had really learned how to rate and her and i got along well and the only concern i had was post position and so when you get to draw your number like mark and i are talking about it and you know he says well you know what number do you want to be and i says well how many And he says 17. i said i want the 17. he said what are you crazy i says listen i want to be in the gate as little time as possible as i have to be in there and i don't want anybody being on my outside that can try if she doesn't get away well they can push me over i get squeezed back shuffled i can control the race from there uh there was like two cheap speed horses in there um that i knew couldn't go the distance i says i can sit there and track those two easily i can control the race from being on the outside so when they pulled her name and mark walked up and said 17 they all start this big ah oh, this big ooh wah, 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 wah. um but that's kind of way i i seen the race falling out my only danger was win city but i if i could control the race i didn't think he could run me down if we were on level playing field
0: so so did mark actually end up with the first pick
1: no it was like i think five or six there might have been five or six horses okay. ahead of us okay
0: okay but uh it, it turned out to be exactly it did did it, did, it yeah. did the race unfold exactly how you
1: thought it would exactly she broke really good right um Pasero had a cheap speed horse in there and there's one other one i laid third to them and just sat there and tracked and tracked and when i spotted wind city at the 516th pole starting to come up to me i looked under my arm i could see him and i asked her and she just kicked right. on and she hit off by like a length but um he wasn't going to get virus. we went another time around there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good source. That was a lot of fun. How much, was, yeah. how much, what, how, what was that like to win the Queens play? Because that's, that's, a, that's, you know, that's, it's uh, it's
1: undescribable. I mean, your, your emotions are so amplified, you know, you, you don't know, like you, you cry, you hear, you're screaming in joy. I mean, the, you, every emotion is just so amplified. I mean, uh, then when everything all sets in, you're like, "Wow, man!" I just, like, it's an amazing feeling,
0: right? A Canadian rider. There can't be anything better than that, really, can there? You know, it's Kentucky uh, Derby. What's only- uh, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Of course, that be that would be all right too. Yeah, for any yeah. any for a jockey of any nationality, right? So, yeah. let's talk about okay. So things are going well in in in, in Canada at Woodbine. You win the Queen's Plate. But then, uh, you know, heading, heading you know south in, in the wintertime and, and uh, you're at Gulfstream Park in 2005. Uh, your mount uh, loses its footing and, and you went down and you were trampled. It was a nasty spill at Gulfstream. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I was riding a horse called In Hand for um, Vicky and Phil Oliver. Mr. Humphrey was the owner. and you know, I just actually had rode him at Calder. The, I think it was the McKnight Steak. It's a mile and a half on the turf, and um, he'd ran wow. second or third in that. And this was the next mile and a half stake. It was mile and three-eighths, I think it was. Um, nice horse, and uh, he's moving up to fourth. Uh, me and Joe Bravo are moving together, and he just lost his footing, and down I go, and I get catapulted up in the air, land in front of him. Two horses jump over him and run me over Subsequently, I suffered a a subdural hematoma, uh, fractured my ribs, uh, lacerated my liver, ruptured my spleen. Uh, it's pretty pretty messed up.
0: Well, that was. Uh, I mean, I, I'm. You were told after that, though, that that uh, you definitely. I mean, uh, from what I understand, when you were on the operating table, you actually died on the operating table
1: i tell us about you i mean
0: what do you remember about any of this right what do you remember about any of this
1: nothing i mean i i only know what you know my my agent and my wife told me at the time um like they they didn't even know i had a a head injury they sent me to the hospital for x-rays and observations and when i got there they were back in the ambulance and, and my blood pressure just crashed so they run in boo, they do a CT scan on me and they find the lacerated liver and the ruptured spleen. They come out and tell my wife, my agent, we gotta do emergency surgery. He's bleeding internally, we gotta remove his spleen and whatever else. So they go in and do that. About three and a half hours later, they're wheeling me out of that surgery, and my head just swells like a beach ball. Like, oh my god. So they put me under the CT again and again and they find the subdual hematoma they come back out to my wife then to the, now the neurosurgeon says um we got to do surgery on gary right now we found a subdual hematoma he's recovering from the first surgery but like there was a big problem And she's like what do you mean he says we have to do surgery right now or he's gonna die and she signs the papers like they go back in and they end up having to um excavate half of my skull just to keep the cranial pressure from getting too big. And that ended up being about uh I think nine and a half hour surgery. And in the midst of all that, I ended up flatlining twice, you know, everything my body had gone through. And um, but I don't remember any I, I don't remember anything until I started I come out of the coma, I think it was thirty days after the surgery.
0: So you've got a blood clot in the brain, you've got a coma for 30 days, and and, uh, and you know it's, it's a miracle that you, you got through it. And then of course you had to learn to do everything all over again, like everything from what I'm I
1: I mean, I had to learn how to walk again, um, eat, I had to learn how to eat again. I mean, I couldn't eat anything more than a half a cup and I just start throwing up. And the, the right side of your brain, there's a, a spot that triggers vomiting and that's where the injury was, to the right side. Um, so if i eat more than a, a half a cup of soup, i just start throwing up profusely. So then I had to get in with um, a therapist, and they're putting me through all this stuff, and this is what you have to do. You know, they'd let me eat at like a quarter of a time, wait five minutes, and eat a quarter more, and eventually you'd build up, build up, build up. Uh, I had to learn to walk again. My balance was just all over the place. And now I got half my skull missing, so I'm this big risk for the hospital. So I I couldn't go anywhere without two nurses at my side. But I'm also this very fit athlete who doesn't want to sit still. So like, I'm like going, going, going. And they're like, you got to give this guy some drugs. You got to slow him down. I actually tried to escape. I was going home. I didn't (laughs) want to stay in the hospital. I tried to escape. I get down to the main entrance. Here I'm on the, the fourth floor in the hospital i get down to the main entrance with just my gown on and my freaking iv trolley well the nurses called down there and here's these two big security guards that probably weighed about 240 260 each of them and they got the door blocked and they see me coming with this freaking trolley and my freaking gown on right where, where are you going I you're said, not going home. he said no you're not i said no i'm going home they they take me back there and uh, they end up putting it looked like a watch on my wrist. You know, they told me it was a it was a monitor for my heart. Like, so I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Next day I tried to go. I tried to get out again, and I get close to the freaking elevators, and the alarms and whistles go off, and the nurses couldn't, they couldn't keep up with me. So right? they said, okay, okay. <laughs> Right. When I, when I finally did get out, of yeah. there, I think the one my one head nurse had lost seventeen pounds in three weeks. I just I kept walking, like I'd walk the, <laughs> I'd walk the the around the corridor nonstop, and they but they couldn't let me be by myself because I had no skull on the one side. So every time I'd get up, they'd have to come. I says I just keep walking. This poor old lady, God bless her. I mean, she kept going, <laughs> round and round we go. I don't know how many miles we get. She told me, she said, "I lost seventeen pounds when I was your nurse." I said, "God bless you." She goes, "No, it's great. It's the best thing." It's okay.
0: <laughs> you were her best patient ever, even though she had to chase everything. Oh, every yeah. day. It was,
1: it, it, was it, the, it was the greatest. Was,
0: thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like those uh, like criminals have to you have to put a leg bracelet on them to uh, yeah, to monitor their whereabouts. You had the same kind of thing in your wrist, right? <laughs> that's it funny. Like, so, like, uh, you know, but you you. Know, you you weren't you weren't you weren't done racing though, Gary. You weren't uh, done racing. You knew you had to stay in the game, so you you tried other tried, other, other like, avenues.
1: Tried, you know my my neurologist. You know he says I, I obviously I went through physical therapy for the next two years. So now over like at two thousand and seven, and I had a, a meliclonic seizure, and so now they put me on. All these different medications and um so now i can't once you have one of those like you, you lose your driver's license so i can't drive i can't do anything i don't know what i'm gonna do not do i'm trying to figure out what i'm gonna do for life like i knew i knew horse racing and i knew horses um some guys want me to possibly train so you know i said okay so i started playing around with that and um finally got my driver's license back in 2008 um trained for a year for these little, you know, nickel and dime kind of owners, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of money, but they had their hearts were in the right place. And they had these old beat up claiming horses. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it. Right. And so I, you know, I started training off a training center at first, but then I eventually got stalls at Calder and I think I win six or seven races and, you know, it was fun, but it was a lot of work, but you know, it was of course, you know, Not every owner really lives up to their what they say they're gonna do and when it come time to get paid I think they they got me for about nine or ten grand. I was like, you know what, this is no good. Training cheap horses, I had five I had five cheap horses and chasing my money every freaking month and you know, I was giving a you know, I'll catch up, I'll catch up and you know, when it comes time to catch up I got it. I got it in the shop. I said, You know what, I'm gonna do something different. And I kind of got out of training. So, uh, and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just I uh, didn't have the right kind of owners to really be in it anyhow, you know. And I said, "Yeah, you know, I'll try something different." And I was an assistant trainer, and you know, and I started just working that way, and uh, kind of got pushed towards um, buying and selling yearlings with uh, a lady I ended up marrying five years later. And I did that, and that's what So my you, you're,
0: after. right? Yeah. Yeah, tell us about Mark Cassian. Tell us about your decision that to, to give riding a try again.
1: Well, I'd um, been getting on horses ever since like 2008, and I'd been breaking horses and working for a couple different outfits in one year. And I think it was 2012, early Mark was looking for another good breeze rider and there were the farm I was living at that ended up being my farm that you know me and my the girl I married is her farm we were close to OBS and I was working way in Williston which is like 45 minutes away one way Mark was looking for a good breeze rider and OBS was only a mile and a half from the house I said alright so I went there and one of his assistants said oh, oh yeah yeah I know good. we'd love to have you I said okay so I started working there and I was breezing all these freaking nice horses. I mean, like delegation was there. Uh he had all these classy, classy steak horses, and I mean he had a whole bunch of nice, nice babies. And you know, I worked with him and uh comes to 2013, and I'm been working with him for like almost a year. And uh Running some of my own horses and getting some bad rides, and you know, thinking, why don't I just get my license again? I'm already, if I could get hurt just as bad in the morning, breezing horses and galloping horses as I could in the afternoon, why not reap the rewards if you know you're taking that chance? Why not have right. the possibility to get that, that paid? You know, I says, so then I started looking into getting cleared what, what would I have to do to get cleared. So once my doctor my neuro, my neurologist he had to perform a whole bunch of tests and he had to submit all the reports to the racing association and um, he did that and you know Mark had had several nice horses that I had been breezing and I loved and he had Kagan who was a maiden he was a 3 year old that never started and I mm. thought I thought, the world, I thought the world of him and we worked them, and I, I told Mark this is a really nice horse he said yeah yeah so we worked him one day with Delegation, who was a four-year-old. He'd ran third in the Breeders' Cup miles, a three-year-old on the dirt, and they were getting him ready. So Mark said, "Yeah, work with this horse." And Mark had we had walkie-talkies, and he had earpieces. I need to tell you to speed it up, slow it down, you know, things like that. And but we worked together, and we're at the eighth pole, and then we're head and head. And Mark says, "Okay, go ahead, let him out." And I just so both of us kind of asked our horses for what they had. Who had more would go on and win. And, I mean, I just walked away from delegation for fun. He I mean, just blew them wow. away. I was like, So I'm going back to the barn, and I got to go by Mark's office to get to his stall. And Mark's there kind of with a little smile on his face. And he says, yeah, you're right. I says, hey, Mark, if I got cleared to ride, could I ride this horse? I kept on going. I go in his stall, and I'm taking his tack off. And I come walking out. Mark's there, and he says, you're thinking of riding again? I says, if I could ride one like that? Yeah, like I think Mark said, if you get cleared to ride, you can ride him. I said, great, fantastic. About two weeks later, I got my medical clearance to ride. And Mark knew it and I rode, I think it was four races at Tampa and I uh, hadn't won any yet. I'd run like some thirds and fourths and things like that. And Mark has a horse called, um, it's a maiden going in the OBS stakes. He was a three-year-old maiden that, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Oxley owned. Uh, he says, you know what? His name was Conquester. He says, I'm going to put you on this Colt in the sprint. Uh, we you don't expect that, all I want you to do is have him running at the end of the race because all his races at Woodbine is a two-year-old. He showed speed, and he backed up from the eighth pole home. So all I want you to do is have him finishing at the end. I don't care if you run third, fourth, whatever. As long as he's running at the end and he got out good. Said, okay, no problem. So it kind of was no pressure on me, but... I had breezed him and I'd galloped him. I knew everything about him. I knew he had a really big move, but I didn't know how tough he was to handle when he came out of a starting gate in the afternoon. So, you know, I was like, okay. So we get in there and it's a three-quarters of a mile on a poly track and, you know, he breaks and he's really quiet. Like, I'm like, okay, great. Well, next thing you know, I'm like 17 lengths last at the half mile pole. And Mark is like... He tells me, like, him and his wife are watching, and they're like, oh, my God, this is going to be an abomination. Tina tells me that he was cursing me. He was cursing me. God damn. He's walking away. And when I finally asked him to run, just as we're coming to the 3 pole, I'm, like, probably 15 lengths off the leader. And, I mean, I just – I knew he had a big move, but I didn't know he had that big of a move. But when I asked him, and I started going through traffic, Tina grabs Mark and says, "Turn around! He's coming! He's coming!" Like he wins by like two, he wins by like two and a half. Mark says, "I don't I don't know what you do, Gary. <laughs> like you've never lost it. You're amazing." I said, "Oh, thank you, no, thank thank you." And the next day, he asked me what I was going to do for the summer, and I was like, "I don't know. I figured I'd stay in Florida. I mean, I win several titles here in Florida. I got a lot of people would be behind me. You know, uh, I mean." probably pretty easy for me to get going he says well would you consider coming to woodbine i says, well you know i've been there i win the plate i win the oaks i said you know to go up there and not have anybody big behind me it'd be really tough to get get going and he says you'll ride half my barn well, i said well okay well, let's go let's go <laughs> that was 2013 yeah yeah but he was a big, well, a big backer. I mean, he's behind me all the way. We still talk to this day, and you know, he was concerned about my leg. And he's a great, great trainer, great man. Man of his word.
0: Well, that that's a a miraculous story, Garrett. Really is, and and uh, you know. Um, so you're you're coming back, and now you become a regular rider, of Woodbine again. We got some busy. You're winning uh, the the passing moot stakes uh, aboard a horse called Zestina a couple of years back. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, so, you, so you're you're you. Sorry.
1: That's from Frank Stronach's horse.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, one of the Stronach Stables' horse. Yeah, with uh, Sidetard.
1: Sidetard, yeah.
0: So you got uh, you you yeah yeah. So you got some pretty good uh, connections when you come back, and and uh, you know it, it's a great story, and it, it, it's so nice to see uh, you know getting a chance to to ride some of these horses. But and when you do get that chance to ride, I mean your 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 winning percentage is great. You know you're and you're doing a fantastic job. I mean, you know, still one of the leading riders despite what you've gone through. That's a miracle, right?
1: Yeah, it's been an amazing life. I mean, I couldn't have imagined. Um being able to meet the people that I've met and ride the horses that I was able to ride. I mean, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to getting back.
0: Any uh, any concern, like, over the injury? Do you ever have any thoughts, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be riding, I shouldn't take this chance, or any, does that ever pop in your mind?
1: No. I mean, the day I don't feel um, that I'm able to compete, at the level I want to be at that's the day I'll say guys you know what it's time to call it a career um I think I got a lot left to give I think I I can still ride at the best um it's just a matter of um giving the leg enough time to be 100% that I'm happy with it and the doctor's happy with it
0: right now here's here's another moment we got for you this is like uh um uh the uh well you know the Queenston Stakes in twenty nineteen. Uh tell us about that race. Uh and that's that's with, with uh with Mark and uh with uh Qatar Stable.
1: Oh this is um, federal law. Federal law. Um yeah he like I picked him up. Um and I mean I hadn't rode him if I'd worked him. I obviously with Mark I got to work a lot of the horses and a lot of horses I worked I didn't get to ride, but I mean him and I had a really good working relationship that way he, he liked my feedback on horses a lot um he had we tried running him in the uh, the plate trial and uh really ranked to, to rate going long uh i think he ran the plate trial after this uh but in this stake here i mean i knew he had a typical european type horse he was you know, he got some cover. He had a big move once he did get through. Um, you know, he's nice to ride. And, uh, you know, he, sure enough, you know, had great cover. And he split horses at the 316th pole, went through a pretty tight hole, and uh, shot through there and actually run down Mark's other horse. Um, but he was, he was a nice little horse. But, like, when nice, you yeah. tried, yeah. tried going along with him in the plate trial, like, he just was – he didn't have no cover and he seen daylight and he just kept on trying to go, go, go instead of relax. And he just took, took that spurt out of him that he needed at the end. And he ran third, I think, was in the plate trial, but he was really tough to ride going two turns.
0: Now, here's another uh, event that we probably didn't see coming back in, say, 2005 after that spill. But a couple of years ago, you, were, you won the Avelina Gomez Award, which is named after that amazing rider. Avelino Gomez, who died as a result of the spill, and interesting that a guy who'd been through so many injuries, so many difficult injuries. But uh, what was it like to uh, to to get it? Because you're you're you received the award. All your peers are there, you know, and yeah. it's uh, and there's Avelino's. Uh, I believe it's uh, yeah, his his nephew, maybe uh, it was perhaps, and and
1: uh, yeah, I don't remember, but yeah, um, obviously, uh, highly honored. I mean, um, it was kind of was scary knowing the amount of um accidents i've been through and that this guy lost his life doing what he loves you know i mean he was uh from what i was told he was a tremendous showman like he was a crowd kind of guy get up on the rail and do. i mean he just was Mm -hmm. a a great guy you know flip off his his horse yeah yeah i mean just did great things i mean just was a tremendous athlete and obviously you know i'm highly honored that i was given this award as well
0: now um the thoroughbred season is just around the corner it's going to be a little while before you're ready to go it looks like but hopefully you're you're ready by the time as you hopefully you know that the therapy goes the physio goes well and by maybe mid-summer
1: maybe earlier summer because
0: there's some big races coming
1: yeah right now I mean my surgeon they sometimes they're a little more on the cautious side and um, and I understand that I was like this isn't my first industry industry you know obviously I've been hurt several times so um, never had a knee injury but it's it's definitely a little bit different than anything I've experienced um, but he he's allowed me to step up physiotherapy and you know we're going to start stressing out a little bit more and see how that does for the next several months if everything goes accordingly and he's happy with it he might release me right then and there he would love to see me wait until september where the surgery's been given a full year so that bone fusion can really take and uh everything can be set and he'll be happy in his mind because the last thing he wants to do is put another ligament in him here have to do even more to me if, uh, I come back too soon and, and uh, some incident happened where I you know, a horse ducks the wrong way and I pivot off that knee and I re tear it.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't want to take that chance. I mean, you know, you well, have been known yeah. to come back from injuries that nobody else comes back from, but that might be pushing it. Right.
1: Well, I mean, he's, he's concerned that I'd pull the, the fusion loose if it wasn't set long enough. Um, so, He's obviously the surgeon, and he knows the pros and cons, and I know my body, and you know we, we've been communicating, and like he said, all right, then let's you know we increase the physio to where we're going to start stressing out a little bit more and see how it takes to that, and if it takes well, and you know he says, let's, let's maybe get on a horse or two and see how it feels. Um, obviously, you can't predict these animals, and you yeah. can go down an a spill or you know a horse could flip on me again, and it could be the other leg. I mean, it, injuries happen in our game. Uh, I want right. to do what's best for the people I'm going to ride for. So I want to be 100%, not 70%. I don't want to have anybody's doubt in their mind about, you know, whether it's healed or not. When I come back, it's going to be 100% and it's, I'll be as strong as ever.
0: Well, you know, uh, Gary, uh, it's, uh, well, he probably won't have to chase around uh, the hospital and put a, put a, put a bracelet on you that I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> Gary, uh listen, you've got an amazing story and it's not over yet. There's there's more to come and this is, it really should be a movie, my friend. It's uh you know, as a guest on Joe Tilly Sports, we have uh a, a foursome for you at Club Link. Uh Jim Lawson says you're a pretty good golfer. Got him coming up on the show. He said maybe a bit of a sandbagger, but
1: <laughs> I don't know if I can swing. I, haven't, I don't think the surgeon gonna let me swing a club for a while yet.
0: Yeah well gary thanks again buddy it's good to have you here and thank great you. to see you and uh, good luck in your recovery
1: thank you so much joe you have a great day
0: single game sports betting may soon be a reality here in canada currently only parley betting is allowed but politicians in favor of bill c13 say that this will present a huge revenue opportunity but where does that leave the horse racing industry and where do they stand with regard to that bill joining us now is the president and CEO of Woodbine Entertainment Group, uh, Jim Lawson. Jim, tell us, uh, how does this affect the horse racing industry and, and are you on side with it?
3: Hey, Joe, uh, great, great to be on and, and giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you. Uh, listen, as, as the private member's bill currently stands today, it leaves the horse industry behind and in a, in a very difficult position um what it would do uh if it is unamended it was it would allow these major uh players sports betting operators which um, are household names uh to come into Canada legally for the first time and to offer wagering on horse racing and uh, the first biggest problem with that is is uh, they don't, they would not be paying for the the cost of the purses the the operating costs and uh as we've seen in in other jurisdictions in the world and particularly australia which is what i said to the justice committee the idea of of fixed odds wagering which is the product they'd offer because it wouldn't be a pari mutual product uh, that we're used to in canada today and that we're using legally is fixed odds wagering is very popular uh, particularly with the younger demographic of of wagers and and horse racing wagers and uh, and our large bettors are Often, uh, you know, they they like the the uh, comfort and and the predictability of fixed odds rather than as we know with pari mutual the odds can bounce around and if you've got a lot of money at risk you'd rather know what you're risking than seeing that pari mutual uh, ticker go from from five to two to four to five when the gate opens so um, it it's it's very problematic for the horse industry uh, the way it is currently.
0: So what would you do to fix it? Like, how would you implement that into horse racing? How do you make that work?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's a pretty simple fix it. Uh, in, in the amendments to the criminal code, which would allow um, single events uh, sports wa- wagering, uh, betting as opposed to parlay wagering, uh, it falls under the definition of lottery scheme uh, that will be passed down to the to the provincial lottery corps to manage and control. But you simply would not insert. Uh, you would simply back out uh, horse racing wagering uh, from the lottery scheme, and you would leave it uh, that the only legal wagering on horse racing is through the the section in the criminal code that allows par- mutual wagering on horse racing is regulated by the the CPMA. So it's uh, it's really just pulling it out. Uh, what it currently would do joe is it would have the impact that fixed odds wagering on horse racing would not be legal in this country uh which is a topic for another day uh down the road about uh, the ability and i would suggest that it should be within the purview of those that hold pari mutual licenses to ultimately offer fixed odds wagering
0: so would you have like um, a a situation where you've got like a pro line, the way it sits now. Like for example, you put a racing, uh, racing dates on the pro line car ticket, and all those on all those uh, race, you know, a race odds would be fixed. You'd make your bet on the pro line. I don't know, say, maybe once one night a week, you'd pick one race to bet on on the pro line card or something along those lines. Have fixed odds on that race, and then that money would go back in into the the racing industry. Is that what you're talking about? Something along those lines?
3: Uh, ultimately yeah ultimately that would be a a a great idea Uh, as long as it goes back into the racing industry we we could you know we could see ourselves uh, both Woodbine Entertainment and I believe the position of the racetracks across the country that we would support fixed odds uh, wagering on horse racing but it certainly can't uh, go to those that don't contribute to the horse racing industry in terms of purses, in terms of uh, operating costs, uh, support for breeders, support for the horseman's groups, all of the things today uh, that come out of the wagering dollar, uh, the par mutual wagering dollar today, and that's the magic of all this. All those groups, including the regulators, are supported uh, by the by par mutual wagering dollar. If you had foreign companies uh, coming in here and offering uh, fixed odds wagering on horse racing none of the none of the income would go back to support horse racing and and we just can't have that I mean it would it would literally and I don't think I'm too dramatic when I say this it would it would put horse racing out of business in this country and I think we've uh, we got that message through with the Justice Committee uh, a couple of weeks ago now and I think we we, you know we should we should be in good shape Um, as actually last Tuesday, when I say a couple of weeks ago, it was uh, we've we've been discussing it for a couple of weeks with uh, and more with the attorney general's office. But uh, I appeared at the Justice Committee, along with other representatives of the industry uh, last Tuesday.
0: So does it seem then that the Justice Committee is on side with this and they're willing to maybe add your amendments to this bill?
3: I uh, I'm expecting and hoping I, I certainly they were listening and asked the right questions and I, I really do think uh, that as a result of a lot of effort uh, on our part and by the industry's part um, that the the justice committee does understand that to 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 do otherwise i.e. not to amend the private members bill could have put a very large industry and and most importantly a large employer in this country out of business. And uh, the the history, as I said, I drew the analogy for them to Australia where fixed odds wagering now surpasses uh, pari-mutual wagering in, in Australia.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of money involved here because according to uh, some, uh, Canadians bet about well, $14 billion a year with uh, dubious or unlicensed entities, as it says here. Yeah, that sounds like like a heck of an opportunity for for uh, uh, the newly regulated op, uh, operators, and and if, if if Woodbine is one of those, that would be you know a great thing. this would help produce more jobs? I mean, there's fifty thousand people, I think the estimate is, you know, working in the horse racing industry in Ontario alone, and you know that's a lot of jobs lost if this if this thing isn't you know if you guys aren't. Uh, considered in this at least and, and have an opportunity to at least, uh, you know, be part of this deal and part of the, part of the process and, you know, part of the decision-making process. Is that right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. You've, you've made a good point. Here's, here's the interesting thing about this, uh, sports betting legislation and opening up in Canada as it relates to horse racing. Number one, there's no question in, in, in my mind and and the experience has been in other jurisdictions that the sports wagering dollar is going to cannibalize uh, the the par mutual dollar there will just simply be some of the the people who wager on horse racing today and can now wager on uh, professional sports legally Uh, they're going to do that and i think it's it's uh, there's only so many wagering dollars to go around so there is a concern uh... that our wagering dollar will diminish as a result of sports betting um coming into the country so that's the downside and uh... It, it's been the experience in new jersey that uh... it will it will detract from uh... from our our pari mutual pools with people turning to sports betting the upside however joe is that the uh... A lot of these major wagering companies uh, their origins were in horse racing and when you think of a company like William Hill who started uh, in the 20s and, and got in a, in a famous battle with Winston Churchill in the 30s about uh, public totes and government totes versus the, the private bookie totes and Australia the companies from there uh, Tabcor and companies like PointsBet uh, that a lot of them have horse racing backgrounds and they want to offer horse racing as part of their uh, their product offering so if this is pulled back as we suggest out of the uh, out of the lottery scheme and they want to offer it they will have to come to companies like Woodbine Entertainment and say hey can we do this with you because we'd like to offer horse racing wagering as part of our offerings in sports betting and uh, it puts us for a whole lot of reasons uh in a in a pretty enviable position if they want to offer um, horse racing as part of their offering so it it could be uh it could be very good for us and and we're working through right now just uh align, trying to align ourselves with the right parties and and Woodbine is uh in an enviable position today largely because of our our HPI network and the breadth of it, our regulated status and our cash management policies, a lot of regulatory framework that we have today that will be very attractive for these companies coming into Canada to, uh, to look at us as a potential partner.
0: Right. And it's interesting, you know, when you go to the UK and you're outside the track and you see the you know the Ladbrokes and the Lloyds and the Williams uh, setups set boosts outside the uh, outside the racetrack and and you know all the money is going back into the racetrack right the money's going back into the, but they're setting their odds separately but still the money's going in so it, it it's a it's a situation that works pretty well there and I think that would probably suit you
3: know work well here well, if, if, well that's right? a good point Joe structurally around the world uh whether it's in Australia even as we've seen recently in New Jersey they have found ways the legislators to protect the horse racing industry Uh, they realize the threat that it would cause uh, if there wasn't some sort of structural framework and uh, so this is this is not novel for uh, sports betting legislation to step up and protect the horse racing industry and we feel uh that they will do it here there's different ways to do it. In New Jersey, uh, Monmouth and Meadowlands actually gave out gaming licenses and, and, uh, or licensed people, and so they are participating directly. So uh, Jeff Gorell at the Meadowlands will tell you, for example, it's, it hasn't been great for our pari mutual pools, but now that he's participating in Sportsbook and sports betting directly through his partnership, uh, then, he's, uh, then he's very comfortable and it's, it's actually been good for the horse racing industry in new jersey and uh, i think that's important that um, we have some framework here that uh, protects horse racing and and hopefully as i say is is beneficial to the industry
0: let's talk about uh, woodbine and uh how are things going with the new woodbine entertainment center how, are, how is progress on that where, what uh,
3: where, where are you at well it's it's definitely slowed down um the, uh, the, the casino uh, expansion, the entertainment center, the hotel, um, they've, they've made more progress than, than you might've thought during this pandemic. Uh, they've, they've been able to work most of the time, but during, during shutdowns and early on, there was no construction activity. And uh, so it's been delayed. Um, There's still, uh, I, I can't give you the exact dates, but uh, I think they're still planning hopefully uh, late 22, uh, spring of twenty three now in terms of uh, grand opening and 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 a uh, uh, it, it's it's better than one would have thought. and in terms of the uh, the development around it, uh, it it is also moving. There's a entertainment district right beside where that music theater is is supposed to go and and uh, you know part of the uh, concurrent construction as they is they work on putting uh, the foundations in as they have, um, you know, they've also prepared, starting to prepare the site for an entertainment district right beside and and we've been spending most of our time joe on the uh, on the go train uh, project uh, working with metro and working with elliston and and now we're working with uh, both the province and the city on in ensuring that the zoning is in place to accommodate it all uh, we we clearly need um, different zoning around that train station in order to make the train station economically viable and uh, and so we're working through that uh, quite diligently these days both uh, with the province and the city to ensure that this train station which would be great for woodbine but really great for the entire region and employment in the region if there's mass transit to a site uh, of our size which is 700 acres and really needs and deserves mass transit.
0: Well, that's going to be a big boost for the economy i want to talk about harness racing you you uh during the lock you had to lock things down shut things down for a while the record was extremely good before the lockdown how are things gone how have things gone since you the reboot uh are, are, uh is everything good with with harness racing right now
3: yeah it's 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 going very well um the the wagering's been a little a little spottier the last couple of weeks but uh um it, that's really hard to get to the bottom of of why it is uh but uh you know we're often uh you know on weekends we're over two million which is a big number for us and, and during the week it's one six one seven and uh yeah. you know we'd like to we'd like to push it back up two million every night and two and a half to three million even uh, on weekends and we might get there the racing uh the racing is uh going to get better as of course as it always does as the year goes on but uh, we're we're just now building towards full field sizes and uh, I think that uh, I'm very pleased with uh, how we've done in uh, in what really has been a a wagering environment without any bricks and mortar Um, so we've done well and uh, and as far as the other thing that's important to mention is is safety Uh, we continue to uh, have strong safety procedures and protocols and uh, and uh, we're very pleased with the way that's going and the cooperation of all the horse people uh, out at Mohawk. They've been great, they've been understanding and uh, we just have to continue to send that message out to keep it going so we can keep racing.
0: Right, and then uh, you know the thoroughbred season is just around the corner. Uh,
3: you excited about that? Well, Joe that was a perfect segue. I think you did that on purpose i mean the uh the really the the big issue we have is safety and making sure that uh woodbine uh is allowed to proceed i mean I've been quite vocal about it we're we're i expect we and I are about to start another campaign with government to say hey um we've got uh eleven twelve hundred horses on that backstretch today which is the most we've ever had in the in the in the uh, second week of march um we're expecting to have two thousand horses back there Uh, we had stall applications for well in excess of of what we could handle uh we're expecting a full complement of two thousand horses back there that means outside of woodbine employees there's there's probably close to three thousand people working out there every day they are all coming, they are all expecting to race April 17th. Um, they deserve to race, it's outside, we have the procedures, we have the protocols, and, um, and of course the economic hardship, it would be devastating if we don't start April the 17th. There's no reason whatsoever that the health authorities uh, can't look at the experience both last year, both at Woodbine and Mohawk and what's been happening in the last month at, uh, at Mohawk and say yes, live racing without spectators is safe and and actually it's it's no riskier than what we do seven days a week there in the morning at Woodbine and so we have to get on to this we have to get through to the right people I spoke to uh, senior people in government last week and they say they agree but we really need to get the attention of the health authorities to turn their mind to this and uh, as it stands today we wouldn't be able to start uh, with, with if for so long as Toronto is in the gray zone we won't be able to start at woodbine and uh, so we need Toronto to come out of the gray zone into the red zone or we need that gray zone language amended which we should be pushing for uh, and we will push for it's it's critical I don't think people realize that but um, we're uh, we're going to be very vocal about it and and we should be it's, it's we've proven to be safe and uh, you you can't bring 2000 horses back to that backstretch and and all the people with the expectation that that's their livelihood uh, probably 4 or 5 thousand families directly impacted right off the bat on April 17th and, and we've got to uh, we've got to get going and uh, and get live racing going in the afternoons uh, without spectators, of course, but in a very safe environment, and 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 we've shown that we can do it. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you segued right into that. We're excited about the start of the season. Uh, we've got uh, a great program again this year. We're we're about to make an announcement about uh, buttressing up uh, the Ontario sired program, which I'll I'll leave that till it comes out. But there's just a there's a lot going on uh, on Woodbine on the thoroughbred side this year, and uh, we're really pleased that. Uh, at the number of stall applications and uh, it should be a great year at woodbine on the thoroughbred side also
0: well jim i have to say uh, your track record is impeccable uh pardon the pun and uh yeah so obviously you guys have done a fantastic job and, and hopefully the, the city pays attention to that uh hopefully the uh, racing community is taken care of when uh b uh, bill c313 goes through as it's expected to and and uh, you guys are taken care of and and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us, Jim, and, and good luck on the upcoming season. Maybe we'll see some fans in the seats eventually, but, you know, barring that, just get out there and let, let, let them race for crying out loud. I mean, the city of Toronto has to has to uh, step up and yeah. make sure that, that happens. And and uh, thank you so much. And a reminder, folks, that we're all in it together.
3: Thank you. Thank you. really appreciate you guys having me on today. Thank you, and uh, look forward to talking about it again.
0: Emotional consideration provided by Clublink. Clublink. One membership, more golf. Slow play. It's a slippery slope. First you go looking for that lost ball, and then everything goes sideways. There are a lot of golfers on the course. Make certain of your point of entry, look quickly, and move on. Remember, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Find anything, Bob? Not yet. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario Tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com. And check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today, and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the epic Joe Tilly Sports is underway. We're giving away 12 Mitch Marner t-shirts. Yes, we are. And three beautiful color prints. Now, all you have to do to enter is invite 10 or more friends to Joe Tilly Sports on Facebook and subscribe to Joe Tilly on YouTube. We'll notify the lucky winners. One t-shirt or print will be handed out each week. Good luck. I'm now for our weekly sports analytics segment. Here's Kwame Bryan.
3: Hi, my name is Kwame. I'm a developer ambassador at Algorand, and I'm bringing the stats for today's show. We have Gary Billander, a great jockey and trainer. And you can see here that we brought up stats for female horses, seeing that it's Women's Month. And a really great writer, jockey, trainer, um, amazing story, seeing uh, the adversity that he fought through and created an even greater career than he had before very inspiring and looking forward to next week's assignment and bye for now.
0: More than two million Canadian households now have access to live horse racing, 24 hours a day for the entire month of March. Ontario racing in partnership with Woodbine entertainment is presenting a free preview of HPI TV throughout the month for on bell television for subscribers. I encourage everybody to go on there and check it out. Time for my COSA Swiss Pick of the Week now. Last week, I took the number five horse, Make It Come True, in the opening leg of the Snowshoe Pacing Series for three- and four-year-olds. And check this out. Make It Come True with Ed Helsley in the buggy. A furious finish from last at the top of the stretch. And he's going to get him up on the outside there for the win. Yes, that's my third win in a row. I've now got three wins, two seconds, and a third. And a fourth on the season. This week, I'm going to go to Friday night's ninth race at Wood Mohawk. And I'll take the number six horse, I bought a flyby. And this mare is piping hot right now. Having one three in a row. Moving up to the preferred level for owner uh, Mike Tanov. Jody Jemison drives. And uh, she will get the job done, folks. A reminder to visit Costa TV on Facebook. And HPI TV on Bell for the latest harness news. And go to hpibet.com. Well, I honestly didn't see this coming, this slump by the Maple Leafs. Five losses in six games against some teams they should really be beating. Uh, they face some hot goaltenders, folks. Yes, indeed. Freddie Anderson has not brought his A game to every game, but I really think that wrist injury has affected Matthews. It's thrown uh, that line out of sync a little bit, but watch them come together as, as uh, Austin's risk gets better and better watch for the buds to get their act together against calgary the flames have been playing very solid defensively since daryl sutter took over playing tougher as well the north division is really tightened up but i still believe that the maple Leafs are the team to beat some tough times for the raptors their roster and coaching staff was gutted whacked by the covid protocol they got uh, they stumbled along in a really nasty slide six in a row six losses are already getting knocked right out of the playoff picture bodies are coming back and they've got a soft spot in the schedule coming uh, coming up but it might be worth taking a look into maybe at least looking at trading kyle lowry now we're introducing a new basketball segment this week uh here's keegan levine with the canadian hoop and scoop
4: hi i'm keegan levine with canadian hoop and scoop welcome to the show and There's Canadians all around the NBA doing great things this season, and let's talk about Mississauga native and New York Knicks guard R.J. Barrett. He's coming off a 17-point performance while adding eight rebounds in the loss on Tuesday night to the 76ers, and this young man has loads of potential, and he's only getting started, ladies and gentlemen. So without further ado, let's take a look at R.J.'s journey to the NBA.
2: Manipulating, devastating off the glass to preserve
0: his
4: victory for times his career high 27. Before R.J. Barrett emerged in the NBA, he lived in many countries across the globe as his father Rowan played professional basketball overseas until 2008 when his father retired and the family settled in Mississauga, Ontario. And Barrett could not have had a better mentor and father. Rowan, who is now the manager of Team Canada Basketball, played on the last Canadian national team to make the Olympics back in 2000, and Rowan's mentorship and guidance could not be
2: understated. His family home in Mississauga, you know, in the hallway between the living room and the kitchen on the wall is Rowan's number nine Team Canada Olympics jersey, right, with Barrett on the name. So you're walking past that literally, you know, 10, 15 times a day. You're seeing it, you're absorbing it, you know what that means. Um, And that's a a goal that you can, you know, literally don't have to put on a vision board because you see it in your household as to what, you know, someone with your last name can achieve.
4: RJ was the youngest player on Canada's under 16 team that won a silver at the FIBA Americas U16 tournament in Argentina. He led the team in scoring, and in 2017, Barrett led Team Canada to win gold at the U17 FIBA tournament. In the semi-final game against the US, Canada defeated them 99-87, behind RJ's 38 points. He was named the MVP of the tournament and the leading scorer, all the while having his father in his corner. He's got the same gene pool as Rowan Barrett, his dad, who is a great player for Canada.
2: Having someone who's been through it, who's been a professional, who knows what it's like to play three and four nights or two on a back-to-back on the road, um, who knows what it's like uh, to have a teammate in a contract year. Maybe they're just playing for themselves and getting shots up and that's frustrating. You know, having that, that sounding board with someone who can understand um, you know, that, that, that again is invaluable.
4: It wasn't just Rowan who mentored RJ, but also his godfather, Steve Nash, who happened to be Rowan's former teammate and Canadian basketball icon.
0: It's a bonus when your godson is the best 17-year-old basketball player on the planet. During our playing careers, you know, we had a really strong bond that I think is, will last forever, and and asked me to be RJ's godfather.
4: Aside from his outstanding international career during his youth years, Barrett flourished playing at Montverde academy and during his junior year in 2018 he led them to an undefeated season. Barrett was dubbed a five-star recruit and the number one overall recruit in the class of 2018, receiving many D1 offers but ultimately deciding with Duke. RJ's stack of Division One offers was no surprise as he was one of the top elite players in that 2018 recruiting class.
0: I know Rowan said that he had a ball in his in his little playpen from the time he could crawl and he always wanted
4: to play. Alongside Big man Zion Williamson, RJ dominated in the NCAA, averaging just over 22 points a game in his freshman season as a Blue devil. He was named to the Sporting News All-American First Team and landed on the cover of Slam Magazine.
0: He's just so good at getting
4: to the basket. After an early exit losing to Michigan State in the East Regional Finals of the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Tournament, Barrett declared for the 2019 NBA Draft.
2: With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett from Toronto,
4: Well, there you have it, folks. R.J. Barrett, one of the NBA's brightest rising stars. And it's a good thing he said he's going to play for Team Canada this summer. And let's see if they can break that 20-year Olympic drought. Tune in next week as we look at R.J.'s rookie year and the season he has had so far. This has been Canadian Hoop and Scoop. I'm Keegan Levine.
0: All right, thanks, Keegan. Good stuff. The Dunedin, Buffalo, and maybe even Toronto Blue Jays are getting ready to open their season. Got some high hopes for the boys in blue. Uh, we're seeing some positive signs down south. Hyunjin Rio had a real solid start this week. Led the AL, the American League in ERA last season. Third in the Cy Young voting. And you know what? He's got a little more zip on his fastball this spring. Uh, Vlad Guerrero, is, Guerrero has been tearing the cover off the ball. He's getting around the bases nicely, too. Must be that new diet. Maybe keto. Justin Thomas uh, bounced back in a big way at the Players' Championship. The world's third-ranked player roared back from four shots down to beat out Lee Westwood by a shot. Thomas is in a good spot heading toward the Masters. Defending Masters champ Bryson DeChambeau had to settle for third, but he's coming off a win the week before. Corey Connors of Lustole, Ontario had a second straight top-ten finish and appears to be ready to make some noise at Augusta. Okay, our weekly sports, Joe Tilly Sports Contest winner this week is Brent Allison of Peterborough. Congratulations, Brent. You win a Mitch Marner T-shirt. You're going to enjoy that. And we close with a look at the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks. I highly recommend them all. A reminder that the show is also available on the Spanglish Network and on Zingo TV and the Fired Up Network. Thanks once again to Gary Boulanger and Jim Lawson. Uh, thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when Blue Jays broadcasting legend, Jerry Howard, joins us. We'll see you then. Get Aldo at REMAX Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and over-deliver? Call 416-GET-ALDO or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like rs demolition and excavation has extensive experience with complete teardowns and interior strip outs looking to build a custom home rs excavating services has the experience you need to build and establish neighborhoods for the highest level of quality and cost-efficient results we provide innovative demolition solutions completed on time and on budget while ensuring our number one priority safety Call 647-852-3006 for an estimate, or visit rsdemolition.ca. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial
3: future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at BGIP.ca today. Let's book a
0: 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905-686-5678. Gold Line Resources, discovering high-grade gold in Sweden. Goldline Resources owns a prospective portfolio of four high-grade gold exploration projects located on the Goldline Mineral Belt of north-central Sweden and one gold exploration project in the Skelftia Belt of north-central Sweden. For more information on how you can invest in this new initiative, go to goldlineresources.com or call 1-800-858-9710. Goldline resources can also be found on the TSX Ventures Exchange as GLDL. Looking for an advantage in choosing your investment options? Belmont Venture Capital will provide you with the best up-to-date opportunities in the mid-cap and junior sector. The company was formed 12 and a half years ago and is spearheaded by two seasoned veterans of the financial markets with over 80 years combined experience. Go to BelmontVentureCapital.com today for the latest hot picks in the market. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter BelmontVentureCapital.com. Oh